Welcome to For the Love of Books, a podcast by North Lancashire Libraries. Hi everyone, welcome back to the North Lancashire Libraries podcast for the love of books. My name is Chris Wilson, the eServices Librarian, and today's episode I'm going to be joined by a very special guest because today we have got the author David McPhail joining us to tell us a little bit about his books and also tell us about his latest writing, which is an atlas full of fantastic facts of Scotland. And David has got a great back catalogue of books, including some adventures with Thorfinn, the nicest Viking, and he has also got a series of books written about um, the top secret granddad as well. And he has kind of moved on to writing this atlas as well, full of facts. And it's a great, it's a great book. If you haven't seen it yet, do pick it up whenever you get a chance and you'll find some fantastic facts, even if for adults and children, it's a great book. So do have a look at it. And David is going to tell us a little bit more about all that and more in our little interview that I had with him earlier on today. So David, thank you for joining me on our podcast today. It's a great pleasure to have you on it. Um, You're very welcome. Yeah, and um, we have met before because I, I don't know if you remember, you did an event for us at View Park Library a long time ago. Um, yes. And f- from that, it's one of my pr- most prized possessions has came from that, the, the fourth one and the Rotten Scots. And you signed it for my son. Uh, before he was born, and you were actually the first person ever that I told uh, who what his name was going to be. So <laughs> you uh, and, and uh, you signed it with his name. So that that's uh, that's a kind of wee memory that I have of of meeting oh, you. That's and, an amazing and thing. Yeah. Do you know that's uh, actually made my day. That's like you know, being part <laughs> of someone else's life in some way and in, in, in a really cool way. I love yeah. that. It's, uh, the, the book, uh, I've still got the book, I've got it here, um, and uh, it's a, a, a prime possession. And now he's kind of getting to that point where he can actually, he's starting to kind of learn to read at school and stuff like that. So we're, we're going to be sure. kind of venturing out a little bit and kind of getting him to kind of uh, visit the, the Thorfinn Adventures, I think, over the next little while, because um, cause they're fantastic books, which we'll find out a little bit more about. Uh, and later on with some of the questions, but uh, that's that's my kind of little kind of memory of of meeting you, and, and uh, which is a kind of little sort of personal thing. I think I'll always remember actually. From, from fabulous, yeah, from, no, I remember it. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so before we get on to your more about your writing, um, I thought we'd find out a little bit more about you because in the back of that book, there's a fantastic little bio about you, and it's and it starts off by telling that you went travelling at the age of eighteen. That must have been quite a bit of an adventure going out and uh, travelling the world at the age of eighteen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was very clear on what I wanted to do when I was from when I was about oh, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen. I, I wanted to go off and have adventures. Um, yeah. And I have, in a very naive way, I mean, uh, we had this program that I used to watch back in like the 1980s when I was a kid, <laughs> and it was called The Incredible Hulk. I don't know if you ever remember it. Yeah. It wasn't like the Marvel Incredible Hulk where it's all CGI'd. Yeah. Basically, they just got this big guy called Lou Ferrigno, who was like a, a a wrestler or a bodybuilder or something, and they just painted him green, and he was the, <laughs> yeah. the Incredible Hulk. And it basically Bruce Banner just goes round every week having adventures, you know. And it was kind of like a, a kind of superhero version of the Littlest Hobo or something like that, you know. <laughs> basically, every week he would go and have adventures and save people from money lenders, or you know, sort out a local crime boss, 
And I thought, I genuinely thought if I went out traveling, then life could be like that. You know, I'd go out and have adventures and stuff. And Please tell me you didn't take any uh, green paint with you, though. I didn't take any green paint. I possibly (laughs) should have done. So I went out and I kind of, I did a lot of travel. As soon as I turned 18 and I was old enough, um, I just went off to Australia and I, you know, I worked around there for because you can get working visas, you still get them. Yeah, and yeah. so I used to, I was working around Australia for about a year and and uh, traveling around, and I went to all sorts of other places. Like I worked in a kibbutz for a while. Yeah. Um, and it was great fun. It was a sort of life shaping experience, mainly yeah, through all I, the misadventures I had more than anything. Yeah, I think it must be something that would really kind of shape you as a person, being able to kind of experience all that at such a young age as well and things. And yeah. one of the things that caught my eye as well was it used to be a, a ghost tour guide. Um, and I have to ask, did you encounter any ghosts on your ghost tours? Oh, interesting one. You know, I, I always go at these things with a very open mind. I've loved ghost stories from when I was a kid, and uh, very atmospheric ghost stories. But yeah. in full truth be told, I never really believed that there were any ghosts so i took this job and i have to say it was the best job i ever had like even even better than being a writer it's being a ghost tour guy going around haunted places telling people stories it was brilliant <laughs> and um it, it was um it was really something the funny thing was though even though i didn't quite believe in it all these weird things started happening when i started work on the ghost tours the all the paranormal alleged paranormal activity went through the roof and the tour bosses couldn't believe it i ended up in the edinburgh evening news uh one night because of like all the things that were happening i mean there were people passing out people fainting um there were people (laughs) coming up at the end going i got my hair Ah, i've got these weird marks bruises and scratches and stuff like that and i'm like i I didn't understand where any of it was coming from i mean i i didn't believe in ghosts i was just there telling stories in haunted places so maybe it all came down to the power of suggestion i don't know and the storytelling yeah yeah one of our libraries uh airdrie library had um a visit from um i I don't know what you would call them but it was like people who can investigate ghosts and stuff like that one one evening and they and they came out and kind of like kind of like sort of spent a lot of time searching around the libraries and stuff like that and trying to see if there was anything there. I don't I don't think they found anything, but I think there was a few, like you say, like kind of sort of spooky things happened while they visited and stuff like that. Yeah. So what, whether whether there's anything there or not, I don't know. But um, I, I do think that sometimes that kind of suggestion in your head kind of sort of maybe highlights it a little bit more than, than you might usually. <laughs> oh, it does. You take people into a haunted place or a place that you're telling them is haunted, usually a tomb or a very dark, dark underground spot which is cold anyway and you know full of weird drafts and breezes and you start telling stories and then you know the hair starts creeping up at the back of their necks and then all of a sudden they're imagining things and I, i do think the power of suggestion must have had something to do with it but i mean i never personally witnessed anything the most frightened i probably got was when our jumper router jumped out and he got his timing wrong <laughs> and he screamed and i nearly jumped out of my skin yeah yeah, yeah fantastic so um yeah it, it's um it's certainly something that i think that there's question marks about i think about uh over whether, you, whether there's there or not but i don't think anyone really ever knows the full answer so we'll we'll leave it up to the everyone's own minds to decide whether the ghosts are real or not so 
Uh, but now you you are uh, a well known writer on your on your own right, um, and but you you have been following in the footsteps of a very well known mother as well, and Catherine McPhail. A lot of people will know will know her books and things like that. I'm guessing she probably was quite a big influence in you getting started writing in the first place. Oh, huge! Absolutely. I mean, I grew up writing at my mum's knee even before she started getting books published. We were both really really interested in writing we used to write little scripts together and stuff like that and um so she was like my main inspiration without her would i have become a writer i mean i don't know um i doubt it somehow but uh what what really interests me though is not what influenced me it's what influenced her you see my mum was born and bred in greenock in the 1950s going into the 60s literally no one around her had like been to university or was interested in writing or anything like that. So where did she get her inspiration from? I always asked her. And the only thing she says was that she went to the library. Well, she read books. What a better place to go. <laughs> well, that's where she got. You, you'll hear that from a lot of writers. I mean, quite a lot of writers will say, I went to the library and I read books. And that's where I got yeah. my inspiration from. Yeah, you do hear that quite a lot when you speak to the authors and things, and it does seem to be the, the it does seem to be a place that, that does spark the kind of creative thoughts a little bit of of people looking uh, maybe kind of with an interest in writing and things like that. Yep. It is for sure, for definite. I had the pleasure of meeting your mum actually at my little library where she did an event for us um, with her book um, "Stars Shall Be Bright." Um, and but you, you guys worked together on to write another book, uh, White Feather, which kind of set in a, a similar um, period and things like that. That must have been quite a special thing for you guys to work on a book together after. Well, it was amazing. We always said, oh, let's let's write a book together. Um, but then uh, what happened was we were sitting around my mum's uh, kitchen one Sunday morning, having a cup of coffee, eating a roll. And uh, suddenly we just came up with this idea out of nowhere. We were talking about anniversaries, I think. What anniversaries yeah. are coming up that we could tie in a book with if we were writing one together? I think that was it. And then we came up with this because uh, it was 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One? So we thought, why don't yeah. we write something, not about World War One, but about the aftermath, yeah. what happens after like all the troops come home and that's it. Suddenly, we, in a space of 20 minutes, we'd come up with a treatment for a book. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it good. started in 20 minutes. Yeah, it's good to hear how that can, I mean, that's, that's amazing how that kind of process can kind of happen so quickly like that. And obviously you then would have to go and flesh it out a bit more, obviously, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it must have been a great experience to kind of be able to kind of create something together as well. Yeah, it was it was fun. Although <clears throat> my mum did tend to go off, and you know, being my mum, <laughs> I would I would come home at night, uh, and uh, at that point, I still had a like a proper job. Um, so I would come <laughs> home at night and go, right, ah, I'm just I'm going to get into writing this chapter. I'm really going to look forward to it. And I'd phone up my mum, and she'd go, Oh, I've already written it. <laughs> what? That was my bit. I was going to write that bit because we were going to write a chapter each and then swap over. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, so that was my mum. I was going to ask actually because because the idea of writing a book together it does sometimes kind of baffle me a little bit about how you go actually about doing that because obviously if it, if it's just yourself you can kind of sit down and come up with the characters write come up with the story but 
you obviously kind of have to have a bit of uh, conversation, I suppose, or, or like a or like a like you do one chapter after the next one kind of idea and or yeah. something to kind of how you used to go about kind of working on it together. It was scenes mainly. We were we were talking about splitting up the scenes and then swapping them over, or important points, and yeah. then kind of filling filling out from there. Um, but it, it is interesting. What we came up with was something that wasn't quite one of her books and it wasn't quite one of mine. So yeah. it was something different. And we actually did two books together. We did another one, but it was after uh, my mum got sick. So we'd done the synopsis and the treatment mm-hmm. before she got sick. And then the, we got commissioned for it. So that one was me writing the book, uh, mainly, you know, the actual book. But yeah. it was based on... It was based on the idea that we we both came up with. Fantastic, yeah, that's great to to hear that that you kind of managed to kind of have those kind of moments together, especially. Um, obviously that must have been kind of a bit of a difficult time as well. Yes. And stuff. So that's kind of nice to kind of that you've got that. Um, let's go back a little bit to your own writing. Um, and to Thorfinn himself. Um, which for anyone who's read any of the books, is, will know he's possibly one of the most adorable Vikings I think you you would ever come across. Um, where did the inspiration come from for that? Uh, well, uh, partly me, uh, <laughs> because uh, when I was about Thorfinn's age, uh, I was uh, insanely polite. Uh, I mean. I went to a really rough school back then in the sort of 1980s, uh, early 1990s in uh, Greenock in the west of Scotland. You know, yeah. I, I didn't go to like private school or anything like that. I went to a, a regular kind of kind of comprehensive school. And, um, you know, there were a lot of right characters in that school. See, when we used yeah. to go out, um, this is just an example, we used to go out and play football at break yeah. time. I used to apologise to people before I tried to tackle them. Um, <laughs> you can imagine how that went down. And obviously, I never got very many tackles in either, you know, <laughs> giving people some forewarning. So that's how polite I was. So Thorfinn was kind of based on me. But, I mean, the other thing, I suppose, was um, the idea of the juxtaposition between you know, these um, comedy barbarians with the huge beards who shout a lot and jump in feet first. and uh, yeah. And then this this polite viking who's the complete opposite yeah and the, the two of those things clashing together like huge fists uh, yeah. are what drives the the stories and i've managed to get eight thorfinn adventures all of them are driven by that that basic clash between that's how you drive stories when i'm when i'm talking to kids about how to drive stories and come up with new ideas if you have a clash like that that really generates lots of sparks because I've got an inexhaustible amount of ideas and scenarios as to what would happen if Thorfinn and the Vikings came upon this or or what if this happened or that happened. Many of them have made it into print, yeah. you know. So that, that key juxtaposition was the the another main driver for the story, you know. Yeah, and I I just love how he's such a positive character and amongst a band of, of raiding Vikings who, like you say, are just out there to sort of cause mayhem 
Um, and you've done such a great job of making them so fun to read as well because they are they're such a fantastic read to, to um, and they're very funny. I think I I, I was rereading it uh, recently uh, just uh, to kind of remember a few things for this and and it's uh, and they, they are just uh, even as me as an adult reader they're just very funny books. Yeah, oh that's good. I mean they're designed are written for uh, I'll be honest here for for dads and mums. Uh, like yourself to read to the kids in funny voices, hopefully, and then yeah. maybe for kids to to pick up and read themselves. Um, you know, a bit later on, once they get a bit more advanced in the reading. But the funny thing you'll notice about the books, <clears throat> most books you read, the main characters, they they change from the beginning to the end. Thorfinn never mm. ever changes. He yeah. is resolutely polite. He is like um. In some ways, he's he's a two-dimensional character because he doesn't change. He's just the same the whole way through the series. And the Vikings, too, they never change. Yeah. What does change in those books is the um, secondary characters. So, for example, mm. in the book that you mentioned, the, the Thorfinn and the Rotten Scots, there's a character in there called Ranald McRanald, who is a, who is a, a fierce Scottish chieftain who wants to be as tough of the Viking, as the Vikings. And sort of by the end of the book, he's reduced to this cringing wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by politeness. Yeah, and, and they try so hard to break them. And they, <laughs> yeah, and they just there's just there's no way it's going to happen. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's such a great read. Um, and and one of the other series is that you're also very well known for is the, the top secret granddad. And much the granddad is a ghost. And was there any inspiration there whenever you were from your your job as a, a ghost tour guide? Um, or or was that kind of just it just happened to be a ghost story you'd say to write? Well, um, it was more about um, I wanted to write a detective story uh, yeah. for kids, um, but I it was all about sidekicks really because I thought about this kid detective, and I thought about sidekicks. I was brought up, you know, back back when there were only like three TV channels in the summer holidays, the long summer holidays, and you sit down and you watch and you turn on like BBC Two, and the only thing showing is this ancient black and white movie. Oh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> you know, with Basil Rathbone and uh, was it yeah. who's the guy who played uh, Doctor Watson? Was it Nigel Green or something like? I can't remember his name, but he was this daughtery <laughs> old fool. And uh, so it was mainly about sidekicks. I thought about a sidekick and I thought about a funny sidekick. So I came up with a ghost granddad because I thought, well, a ghost could be quite good at sneaking yeah. around and uh, you know finding stuff out. But alternatively, it could be really bad. I mean, if my granddad was a a sidekick. I mean, he just go around complaining about his feet all the time and <laughs> the price of stuff. So yeah. you know, you've got these two things that uh, again go into the mix and provide a bit of a you know a bit of a comic oomph to the story. And that was mainly where that the kind of inspiration for that came from. Yeah, and it's a it's it's fantastic because the sort of difference between like that 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 type of story and obviously the Viking one it's completely different time periods and stuff like that. So it kind of captures sort of lots of different themes and stuff like that as well. Your latest book um, as well um, is an amazing illustrated atlas of Scotland, which is a, a full of fantastic facts from all across Scotland. Um, it's a very beautiful book as well. The, the illustrations um, and are fantastic. I'm assuming there was a lot of research had to go into that. And where did the idea behind the, that book come from? Uh, yeah, indeed, there was a lot of research. And Anders Frank's illustrations are 
you know, absolutely fabulous. And the, the really the humor in them that it really adds to it. But I think a yeah. couple of years ago, we felt that what Scotland really needed in the bookshops was um, an atlas, just an atlas of Scotland, which was written and uh, designed and illustrated and um, printed and published here. You know, so that's what we've got with the Atlas of Scotland. Yeah. And um, it came quite a lot from my own tour guiding experience, because mm-hmm. not only did I used to be a tour guide, I used to take tourists around Scotland and show them the sights. And I've totally. always had this uh, child's eye view of things. I still do. I mean, maybe my wife would say it's probably because my sense of humour has not really evolved beyond the age of nine. <laughs> so when I go around places, I look for things that, I would find interesting, which generally tends to be what a nine-year-old child would find interesting. Say, take for example, if we go to a castle, I am not remotely interested in stuffy old drawing rooms and china and crockery and all that stuff. I'm interested yeah. in dungeons, and yeah. I'm interested in ghosts. So I'll go to the dungeons first. I'll maybe look <laughs> at like suits of armor and weaponry and armor and all that stuff. But um, I, what I'll also do if I go to old castles is I'll go up to you know the old guys that stand around. Like yeah. they're custodian, but they're usually employed by you know, Visit Scotland or something. Um, I go up to one of them and I ask them if the place is haunted, if they've seen any ghosts. See, they know. They they yeah. lock up at night. So um, they generally know. And I, I go around, and that's what I do when I go into places. So I look for stuff like ghosts. I look for myths and legends and funny stories. And um, so the Atlas will... The atlas is focused mainly on stuff that I found interesting, hopefully, yeah. which a child would also find interesting. And it cuts out a lot of the um, other stuff that maybe an adult would find interesting. So, for example, like the there's a museum in Orkney. Uh, sorry, no, it's not Orkney, it's Shetland. And um, one of the things I found most interesting about it is that they've got a massive, massive lump of butter <laughs> that was buried in a peat bog. They used to pay it as tax to like the Norwegian king they used to pay tax oh, and butter so some poor serf or peasant had dropped this massive tax payment and butter into a peat bog and it, <laughs> stayed, it stayed there for hundreds of years until somebody dug it up so there's now in a museum this massive lump of butter you can just go and stare at it so I've, I've <laughs> ignored everything else that is of interest in that museum which there's quite a lot for the lump of butter you know, so that's that tends to be the uh, angle that I take with the atlas. See, I think uh, that would be the kind of thing that probably catch my eye as well if I went to a museum like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> such, such a random thing uh, to find yeah. in, in a museum, a big lump of butter. Um, it, it does. I mean, the the atlas it covers all Scotland with some great facts, and I'm and I'm sure um, it will interest adults just as much as children. Um, as well. Was there any particular facts in it that you found interesting when you were researching it, other than the lump of butter? <laughs> yeah, well, um, loads and loads, actually, but the hardest section to write was probably the section on Orkney, the Orkney Islands. I mean, I love Orkney, um, uh, but these uh, atlas spreads, I mean, I really only had space for maybe 10 little facts and editing was really important because i had to get each one down below 50 words so it was a real challenge to fit everything in and the thing about orkney is even if you take out everything else the neolithic history the stone age history in orkney is amazing i mean the stuff that was going on there during the stone age was take scarabray for example which is this ancient village um 
It was uncovered after a storm in the 1860s, I think. Uh, this village was in use for hundreds of years, and it fell out of use before the Great Pyramid at Giza was even a glint in a pharaoh's eye. And, I mean, this village is amazing. You can go and you can see the beds that Stone Age children would have slept in, curled up mm. perhaps in the sheepskin rugs. You can see they've got the little dressers where they used to put their knickknacks. They had lockable front doors. They had wee utility rooms. They had a wee tank in the middle of the floor that they, they think they used to keep live seafood in. Uh, mm -hmm. So, like, if they, you know how nowadays if you want a movie night, you, you know, you would say to your, like, mum or dad, Let, let's get the popcorn <laughs> on and we'll put on Netflix. Well, they used to do it back then, 5,000 years ago. <laughs> they just used to whip some, like, prawns out of the uh, seafood tub and they can whack them on the stone griddle and, tsh, and before you knew it, they had, like, wasn't popcorn, but it was the same difference, really, you know. <laughs> so I think Orkney was the most interesting thing. I wonder what the, uh, the 5,000 year ago equivalent of Netflix would be. <laughs> uh, probably some old guy with a beard standing up telling stories. Yeah, yeah, probably something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. The, the, one of the things that stood out for me really um, was um, with things like the, the Stoorworm at Orkney and Nessie at Loch Ness and the Kelpies and Falkirk, us Scots do seem to like a little bit of a myth or legend about a, myst a mystery mo monster oh, of some yeah. sort, don't we? Yeah, and it's what I'm interested in more than anything. And looking around Scotland, as you know, not only as a tour guide, but as an author writing this book, one of the things that really, really interests me is how these myths and legends come about and how the landscape kind of inspires them. So, for example, yeah. you've got like the island of Staffa um, off the west coast with these, um, it's a volcanic island, so they've got these hexagonal basalt columns it's made up of these hexagonal basalt columns and then you've got the giant's causeway just over the irish sea mm -hmm. which is made up of the same hexagonal basalt columns and at some point in history the early scots whoever they were who were a sea people after all across the irish sea they came yeah. up with this legend about this irish giant uh building a bridge to go across and fight a scottish giant and scotland is full of those legends you know yeah. like not far away, up in Loch Haber, there's a place called Glen Roy, and they've got these, if you go up the Glen, they've got these parallel lines that run across the hillsides and top of the Glen, and, you, and it looks really weird. So, so back in the Dark Ages, people had no idea what they were. Nowadays, a geologist could tell you that they were just shorelines or different shorelines from an ice age yeah. loch. But back then, they didn't know that. So they came up with a legend, and that legend was... It was Fingal's hunting roads. So Fingal would uh, ride out with his, you know. Yeah, why not? and their, ver their version's way much more interesting than the, the different choice. <laughs> and, and then you've got like uh, Cory Vrecken, uh, the big one of the second largest whirlpool in the world, which is in Scotland, this massive whirlpool near Jura. And you can hear it for miles around. So the people came up with a legend that it was the Celtic goddess of winter doing her washing. Oh, wow. And that's just, that is just brilliant. Uh, I love how they come up with these legends, which are almost quite mundane. Somebody doing their washing, it just happens to be a Celtic goddess, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the great things about, I think, about Scottish history and, and on myth and legends is, is, is these little stories about these things. And, it, and I think it kind of shows the... the the sort of the storytelling heritage a bit of, of Scotland as well. Yes. Uh, 
you know, it's it's something that we that we've always been quite proud of and and had as part of our heritage, as these stories. And you know what's really interesting, Chris? I go around uh, schools and libraries, talking about the atlas. I'm doing a lot of talks about the atlas, just because it's not long come out. And I, mm-hmm. I like to ask kids. Um, I I like to ask kids about myths and legends. Do you have any myths and legends in your area? You know, wee stories, yeah. funny wee stories. You have ghost stories, perhaps, around your. And everywhere I go, I get them. Yeah, there's always one. You might yeah. get blank faces to begin with, but within the space of a few minutes, they're all putting their hands up and they've got wee stories and legends to tell you about their own area, no matter where yeah. it is. Yeah, we we uh, we actually did a podcast um, late last year, I think it was, with Alison Gilbraith, the storyteller. And um, and she had written a book, and I always get the title wrong. It's, uh, it's either the folk tales of Larcher or Larcher folk tales. I'm not sure which way around it goes. Um, but um, she's got some kind of tales from nearby, and and she had one that was kind of part of of something that I remember whenever I was a kid, because I I grew up in in a little village in Larcher called Salisbury, and and there's a there's a, a hill that there that I was always told was. Was a there was a giant buried underneath the hill, ah. and that was and that was him. Yeah. And and there was actually a myth. Like she had the myth of the story about this giant in in her book, which was really fantastic. And it was it was good to hear a little bit more about kind of background as to where that myth had came from and stuff like that yeah. in, in her, her book. It's it's great. And like you say, there's always somebody always has some kind of story. I think whenever you you look always. back at it, and it's and it's great that they pass down generations too, and that they, they kind of survive. You know, yeah, it's a good thing. But um, later this year, you are following up the atlas a little bit with um, another atlas full of fact uh, facts about Scottish history. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, we could have written four atlases with the amount of um, material that I came up with for the first atlas. Uh, I mean, pages and pages of stuff. And many of it, um, I was just jotting down from from memory. I mean, a lot of the work involved was like filtering stuff out and then editing what I had down to quite a small number of words. So that was quite hard work. But the actual ideas, the material I had, the base base material was pages and pages of stuff that we couldn't fit in. So we could have written four solid atlases. So the next one is just about history. It's slightly different. Mm -hmm. So there's no, it's not broken down by geographical spreads. It's um, going to be focusing on little historical vignettes so, for example, like Mary, Queen of Scots Supper Room in Holyrood Palace is a focus for the, the, the page, which is about Mary, Queen of Scots. We can squeeze a lot of stuff yeah. in. And again, we've got Scarabray coming up for the Stone Age. Um, so, so focusing on that to talk about the Stone Age and what life was like for, for kids back then. But that should be that should be a really interesting thing to, yeah. uh, to take out and about. I'll be doing that a lot in the second part of the year. Yeah, and if if you have seen the the atlas that's out just now, I'm sure it'll be a great a great follow up for anyone who's already kind of looked at the original one. Um, which because it's if you if you're already a fan of the first one, I'm sure you've got lots of facts to come up with this and in, in, in the follow up as well. When is that due out? That's due out in September. I think September the seventh. That's coming out. Yeah. And hoping, hoping maybe maybe to do a few more atlases. I mean, I've got so many more ideas, like stuff like mysteries and UFOs, and oh, I could just I, I could just go on and on. I could do a whole series <laughs> of atlases. 
Yeah, well, if if the if the facts are there, why not? Like, why not? Yeah, exactly. It's, it sounds like a great great idea, and I'm really looking forward to catching the, the new one when it comes out. Um, after after picking up the the one that's out just now as well, um, and um, it'll, I'm sure it'll kind of capture my little boy's imagination as well because I think that's one of the great things as well about about the fact that you've kept the facts all quite short as well. They're kind of very yeah. easy for for people to kind of remember them and. And kind of just get the kind of bare bones of what of what it is, which is making it accessible. Things. I think is yeah. a, is a great thing for many kids, yeah. and uh, no matter what age you're at. I mean, um, my my daughter is that she's now onto uh, Bunny versus Monkey and uh, stuff like that. <laughs> she's <laughs> and she has suddenly taken on these books are lovely and they're really funny and they're accessible and everything. And um, yeah. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of kids turn turn around from non readers through these graphic uh, novels into readers. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so I've taken a bit, little bit of that as well into the, the brevity and, uh, the, you know, the easiness and the accessibility in the Atlas books, you know? Yeah, and, and it, I think it works very, very well. Now, finally, the last thing that I did notice um, on your bio and the, the Thorfinn book was that you live on a diet of cream buns and zombie movies. And... I'm a big, huge fan of Cinnabon and 28 Days Later, so I wanted to find out what your cream bun of choice was and if you have any particular favourite zombie movie that you would recommend for anyone to watch out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, you know, you can't go wrong with a cream horn. A little bit of jam in it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm obsessed with jam. I mean, it's, it's really annoying because I, I, my kid comes back from school and I said, do you want a piece of jam every day? No, I don't. What is wrong with children these days? They don't like a piece of jam. Wow, I don't know. <laughs> and it, as for zombie movies, I'd go back to the uh, the original Dawn of the Dead um, right, by yeah. George A. Romero uh, with the yeah. shopping mall. I think what I liked about George A. Romero is that there was no messing around, and he always had, had he was always making a dig at society. There was also a satirical point to his zombie movies. You know, yeah. it wasn't just. Uh, it wasn't just for no reason, you know. He was he was having a day commercialism and consumerism and in that film, and I really liked that one. That was probably my favourite. I, I don't know if it's something you'll have seen, and I'm not really sure if they if they're classed as zombies or not. But have you heard um, the Last of Us, the the, the one that yes. was based on the game? Yeah. Um, I I thought that was a fantastic one because and and what one of the things that I, I love about that story is how they kind of explain it in a way that kind of makes it seem as if it's actually potentially possible yeah. and, and which is adds infinitely more frightening <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was some really good scenes in that one um you know the 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 mushroom zombies coming out of the hole was a really good yeah. bit <laughs> yeah that was yeah. quite good i never thought i'd enjoy <laughs> watching uh a tv program about mushroom Mushroom zombies. That was really something. So I did like that yeah. one as well. Yeah, that's that was definitely one of my kind of more recent favourites. I think for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, David, for coming in and telling us a little bit more about your books and um, your your writing and things like that sort of stuff. And I hope that the the launch of the the new atlas goes really well. And and I really hope you end up doing the UFO atlas as well later on <laughs> after that. <laughs> You're more than welcome, Chris. Um, so thank you for, for that, and it's been great talking to you. So thank well, you. thanks for having me. Thanks. You're very welcome.
So thank you very much, David, for joining me on the podcast. It was a great pleasure to get a chance to speak to you and relive a little bit of memories as well with you from whenever we met up at View Park Library. I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to that. And if you haven't heard or read any of David's books before, do get a chance to pick someone up. They are fantastic. And you'll enjoy them, if, whether you're an adult or a child. They are fantastic reads and they are very, very funny and full of great facts as well, the new Atlas as well. So it's a great book to pick up and read. And I thoroughly recommend the Thorfinn books as well. It's a, such a great character. That's about all for time for us now, guys. Just before we go, we'll tell you a little bit about some activities that we've got going on in the libraries. We do have uh, some new sessions starting for code clubs, so do look at those to see if there is any space for them if you want your little little kids to get involved in code club. We also do have a create and writing class happening at Coatbridge Library as part of New Tricks. There was one on Monday this week already, and there's a new one on May 15th as well at 2pm, and you can sign up to come along to that too. And the, finally, the other thing that we're going to mention is that we do have a new playlist for life playlist for you to submit a song to. We are doing a spring-flavoured one to get in the middle of the fact that spring's here, summer's soon coming along. And if you've got a song that really kind of springs to mind with that in mind, you can submit a song and we will add it to our spring to summer playlist. So you can find out about that on the culturenl.co.uk website as well and submit your entry to that and then don't forget to like the playlist so you can also find it on Spotify as well for you to kind of listen to at a later date. You can follow us to kind of catch up with others and watch out for more coming in the near future too. That's all for us for now, guys. If you have enjoyed this podcast, don't forget you can leave us some feedback using hashtag FLBpodcast or drop us a wee email to librarypodcast at northland.gov.uk and we will be back very, very soon with more episodes soon. So that's all for now, guys. Bye for now.